0: 720 WGN. This is Let's Get Legal. We are powered by the Illinois State Bar Association. It's 218. And just a couple days ago, big news about the Chicago Cubs and a federal lawsuit over their renovations and were they made accessible enough for people with different abilities. And joining us now, Jim Convery. He's senior counsel at Laner Mution. Jim, I understand that you've worked on disability discrimination cases over the years.
1: I have, John, uh, both in the employment area and in the public accommodation context is what which what we have here with uh, with the lawsuit involving Wrigley Field.
0: Well, I really appreciate uh, coming on the line with us here today because this is an area of law that I think I don't know if people take it for granted because so much has happened in the last, I don't know twenty, thirty years, forty years in this favor. But these are obviously still battles that are, I imagine being fought all the time.
1: Oh, sure. and and especially, and as we'll probably talk about is, when you have you have an older structure and then you get into remodeling, uh and and whether that triggers additional obligations on behalf of the entity that runs the public accommodation. Yeah. And that's that's where you really see some of these issues.
0: And it's a bit <laughs> That leads us right into this conversation about structural issues in Wrigley Field. And I was hoping you could kind of walk us through what this lawsuit alleges, because obviously when Wrigley was renovated in 2014, and, and I don't know if you know about their past, Wrigley's past history, whether they were grandfathered in for exceptions uh, to to these federal laws that have been passed, obviously after Wrigley Field was built, which was way back in 1914. Um, but I imagine when the renovation kicked in that everything had to be in compliance what does the lawsuit say is not in compliance at Wrigley Field?
1: Okay, well, the, the, the focus of the lawsuit is the wheelchair seating, because the, uh, and they allege that the Cubs removed or replaced elsewhere within Wrigley Field most of their previous wheelchair locations, uh, in both in the bleachers, lower deck, and the upper deck. First, the, in, with respect to the bleacher section— um, it's part of the renovation. The Cubs created these porches or group seating areas. There's the LG porch, the Hornitas, Hacienda, the right field porch, as well as the Budweiser patio. In uh, the suit claims, before that these were created, the Cubs used to have 15 general admission seats in right field, and they all had excellent views, again, according to the lawsuit. Mm-hmm. Now, after the renovation, the um Department of Justice claims there's three general admission seats in the left field corner and an additional 16 seats in the center field section called the batter's eye. Mm -hmm. And the suit actually clarifies those batter's eyes seats as the worst seats in the bleachers (laughs) with poor views of the game. Apparently there's some tinted glass out there. There's some mesh and the, um, and the federal government refers to this, the area as being fairly segregated. And they also have uh, – sometimes there's TV use in that area, according to the lawsuit, which may uh, uh, inhibit the the views and mm-hmm. enjoying the goods and services that you get at a ballgame.
0: So, Jim, I guess what I'm asking and, is, is that – so the Cubs would say, well, no, we created more seats. There's more – the number of seats or spots may be more. But the suit alleges that maybe you could, you could help clear out the law, too – you have to provide an experience that is similar to any other fan. It's not just the number of seats available. It's about the experience for every fan, no matter whether they're in a wheelchair or not.
1: Absolutely. You have to be able to, someone should have the opportunity to enjoy the uh, the goods and services and public spaces that ambulatory people do. And that's where part of the the problem is, is now, at least according to the suit, um, these sections do not provide that kind of uh, enjoyment of the facilities. And you look in the grandstand. Remember, the Cubs essentially demolished most of the grandstand Mm -hmm. and rebuilt it. So what seats do they have? So the the disabled seats, there's no seats down in the the close club boxes. The seats are between the 100. Part of the seats are between the 100 and a 200 section. That's the closest that you get, according to the suit. But more than half, of the um, seats reserved for wheelchairs are in the very last row of the grandstand with poor views or obstructed views according to the allegations.
0: So if the vast majority of them are not great views, that would not be similar to any other person buying a ticket where they could seemingly know that they could at least have a good chance of getting a good view because I know there's a lot of obstructed views at Wrigley Field. I've sat behind poles yeah, myself, yeah. but at least as a buyer I knew that I had the opportunity to choose a really great seat if I wanted to. That is not an opportunity given to someone in a wheelchair currently, according to the suit.
1: According to the suit, those are the allegations that the the Cubs made a conscious decision to not put wheelchair seating closer to the field. Even though they basically redid the grandstands, and and according to the allegation, that's denying a disabled person the ability to enjoy goods and services similar to the non-disabled individuals.
0: Is it hard to prove these things because there's some subjectiveness to what is a good seat, what isn't? And obviously, you know, businesses have to make tough decisions financially about where you're putting seats and how much room they take up. I'm not excusing alleged behavior. I'm just saying that I know it may not be the easiest formula to make it all work. Um, so is there some subjectivity to this that the Cubs might counter with and try and argue that, no, in fact, these are great experience? I don't know if they have testimonials from fans that say, no, no, these, this has been great. How does that get adjudicated? That seems like it could be complex.
1: Well, in, in terms of when you, you bring up the cost issue, and this comes down to, you know, obviously we Field is this 108-year-old ballpark but it's when you decide that you're going to renovate the facility because as you pointed out at the outset john you know wrigley field was built before the ada even existed right so wrigley's it, it, obligations to accommodate the disabled without a renovation are a much lower standard so it is what they call readily achievable it's not it's not uh, a high standard that they have to meet and uh However, what's the key is that once that public accommodation, in this case Wrigley, decides to remodel or alter an existing facility, it has to do so to the maximum extent feasible. That's that's the, the wording in the regulation. Mm. So once the once the Cubs put the shovel in the ground to begin the 1060 project, it was ob, how obligated to strictly follow the ADA architectural guidelines, uh, and they say in in, in those guidelines regardless of cost. So once you, again, you you decide putting that shovel in the ground, your obligations are high because you're designing that essentially new, and you have to take advantage of, um, or you have to follow the guidelines for making accessibility. I'm reading the lawsuit. Go ahead, sir. Yeah. I was going to say, I know several years ago, I was I was at Fenway Park and I was on a tour with my son, and they were pointing out in the tour the seats in the left field grandstand are very narrow. But their concern, and in, in they're old, they old wooden slat seats. Mm-hmm. Their their concern, as it was explained to us at the at the time, was: well, if we take those out, we're going to have to put in wider seats. It, once we undergo a renovation. Once we mess with that, and yeah. We're gonna ha- once we mess with that, then we're going to have to go into compliance and they're going to have to put wider seats and they're going to lose capacity. So it's something that, you know, obviously Wrigley and Fenway are both older ballparks. Right. So that's one of the issues that that they they face then. And really, the also through...
0: Go ahead. I was going to say in reading through the title and the, the suit, it says Title 3 of the ADA prohibits discrimination quote on the basis of disability and the full and equal enjoyment of the goods, services, facilities, privileges, advantages or accommodations of any place of public accommodation. So that really does seem to be that if you're building new seats closer to home plate like they did, or they took the bullpens and they moved them out to underneath the bleachers so they could have more seats that come into the field. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised now that I that there aren't, at least as far as I know and according to the suit, ways for... Why can't someone in a wheelchair buy a, buy a first-row seat or a second-row seat? It, there should be some accommodation for at least a couple of those.
1: Right, and I think the suit alleges that the uh, that the Cubs have an obligation to put in, I think, 200, 200 or 201 under the standard. So it's not like it's a lot of seats. Right. But they're not... Interspersed so that the again according to the suit that the, the the disabled fans would be able to get that that type of enjoyment as um, in visiting a public accommodation.
0: Right, right. And it's not like you're saying that every person in a wheelchair should, no matter what, be able to go to any single game they want, buy a ticket and be able in the front row. It's a matter Correct. of having the opportunity to be able to do so that is similar to an average fan, Like, right? Like, I can't buy a ticket in the front row to any seat that I want to go to, right? Like, there's, there's, <laughs> right. there's limited tickets, there's limited games, you know, but, but someone should have that opportunity to at least take part in that buying process, similar to any other fan at the outset. I think that I'm understanding. Is that
1: Right. Yeah, I think at least to hit, if it's sufficiently integrated and interspersed, so you you do have those opportunities. But they don't have it. The closest that they're going to get to the field is behind the between the 100 and 200 sections. They don't have an opportunity, according to the suit, to really get any closer. Yeah, that. But it, it didn't stop it didn't stop there because they also in the suit claimed when the Cubs created as part of the remodeling the the, the 1914 Club the makers. Mark Barrel room and uh, W club and Catalina club that there's no, there. If you're a wheelchair person, according to the lawsuit, you can access these clubs, mm-hmm. but if you and I as an ambulatory person visit the clubs, we, we can sit down and watch the game in the clubs. Apparently, according to the allegations, if you're a, a disabled person in a wheelchair while you can visit the club, if you want to watch the game, you can't stay in the club. You got to go back to those seats that are uh-huh. between the 100 and 200 section. So they're not getting the full enjoyment that's ambulatory, ambulatory right. persons would have in visiting those clubs.
0: Okay. Tell you what, Jim, I, I, we're going to keep you on the line if you don't mind. i got a, que- a couple more questions about this and then some other cases uh, that involve uh, f- uh, the ADA and compliance with that. We're going to continue our conversation after the news uh, with Jim Convery, the senior counsel at Laner or who's uh, so uh, happy to be able to join us. Or I'm so happy that he's able to join us. We'll get to that after the news here on WGN. 720 WGN, continuing our conversation with Jim Convery of Lane Ermution, who has handled some of these cases of uh, discrimination against people uh, with uh, disabilities. And Jim, we've been talking about the Wrigley Field renovation and a lawsuit by the federal government saying, hey, look, you have not made this experience the same for folks in wheelchairs particularly and other disabilities as well. And Jim, we had a really interesting question on the text line from the 708 talking about when they make these designs and they make these plans for a renovation, isn't there like a step along the way where they have to be checked to be ADA compliant or is that not happen until things are already built and then they're reviewed after the fact? Do you understand the question I guess I'm asking?
1: Oh, no, absolutely. Cause you have to do, you have to submit plans and permits and those all have to be approved and the, the requirements are set there are, are set forth in the ADA um, uh, architectural guidelines. So, now, those are yeah, who looks Very at that? exhaustive. Yeah, they're very exhaustive guidelines, and whether whether they are all checked uh, for something such as. Um, the number of, of, of wheelchairs uh, and whether they viol- violate the, the ADA. I'm not sure that the federal government reviews any of that. That's that's more local oriented. But you know, I, I, I do know that the that the city, for example, does require that you comply mm-hmm. with the ADA. That's, but where that where that fell in the process? Because usually people are looking for you know your, um, your your countertops and your sinks should be certain heights and things like that, but Wheelchairs, it's, it's a kind of a broader picture as to where it's actually, it doesn't fall in – it's not your typical structural issue. Right. But it's it, it's kind of an equal enjoyment. So whereas the checklist was probably done for purposes of whether it was structurally sound, et cetera, maybe – I don't know for sure, but I don't know if, if they would have the check. Because now you're talking about if you have to have 200 wheelchair seats, it's probably not in your norm, normal – permitting uh, application is my guess. I, yeah. I don't know, but no, that's it's an interesting I, question. It may not have come up. Yeah. It mm-hmm. is interesting Absolutely. though, because if
0: I were the Cubs, I would say this got approved. like, Well, come on. I mean, we built this thing based on what we were told was a-okay. That doesn't mean it can't change and people can't bring a lawsuit against it. By the way, I should read the Cubs' statement, too. They say they are, quote, disappointed in the decision by the U.S. Department of Justice to file suit and hope the matter can be resolved amicably. But we will defend Wrigley Field and our position. It meets accessibility requirements for fans. So, actually, that's another question I have for you, Jim. Is it unusual for the federal government to step up in this big way? Because this seems like a big deal. Like, the feds themselves drawing a lawsuit— is it usually an individual fan or a group of fans that come together that sue the Cubs uh, on their own? That, that is that the normal course of action that we'd see? Is it unusual for the federal government to just step forward and say, "Nope, this is this is against the rules"?
1: Well, I, I think the experience here in, in Illinois in the Northern District, uh, which you know the uh, the federal district here. Mm-hmm. It it would seem to be unusual. All the cases that you know our firm has handled on behalf of companies and public accommodations, they're typically cases that are brought by an individual who's disabled uh, against whether it's a restaurant or a hotel, claiming that when I visited the facility, you know I couldn't get under the sink was was uh, didn't have a cutout. The uh, uh, t- uh, toilet dispensers were. Uh, not at the proper height. There's a lot of technical violations. So over, over the years, we've seen most of the cases are brought by individuals because they can be brought by the government or they can be brought by individuals. So I think I would say this would be unusual, but I I, I assume it got to the attention because the department of justice, apparently according to the, I, I think the, one of the articles has been investigating this for three years. So wow. it, it obviously got to their attention by someone and they were just following up. And obviously, given the notoriety of of Ridley Field, you know, it, it probably caught, you know, the attention of the Department of Justice.
0: What's the remedy? I mean, can they come together with the Cubs? They say they want to resolve this amicably. Is it a matter of just making some structural changes and the Justice Department will say, OK, that's
1: all good. Is there like a financial remedy in place that needs to happen? Well, well, they can. The, the suit seeks an injunction, and it's basically an order to have the Cubs remedy um, the deficiencies. And they can also seek um, compensatory damages, But although I'm not sure if they have someone who has suffered a emotional distress person. or anything. Right, least, right, right. It, it, right, it's part of the suit since no, no one else is party to the suit. But they can also seek civil penalties. And um, for the first, I, I think under the regulations, the civil penalty is $50,000 for the first lawsuit, which in, in the scheme of things, probably for Wrigley Field, that, that's not that much money. So I'm gonna guess the, the the big remedy that the government's gonna be seeking is some injunction to have these uh, more accessible wheelchair seating at other spaces within Wrigley Field. I am i don't know what the discussion, <clears throat> excuse me, the discussions were between the Cubs and Department of Justice. But I would guess that they're they're going to be insisting that they increase the integration of, of the wheelchair seats, so that at least amongst the 200 or so that are required, that the uh, those in the wheelchair get a better and a full enjoyment of sitting in a baseball game.
0: Right, Jim. I'm going to say something for the text line. I don't need you to respond to it because it's a. Uh, I just I'm getting a lot of these texts from people that says. Uh, it's just the Democrats getting back at the rickets. I'm just going to leave that there because those are people's opinions that I'm seeing <laughs> on the text line. Jim, I will not ask you to comment on that. I want Well, the only, the well, only thing ahead.
1: I'll say, without commenting on that, the investigation started three years ago.
0: Oh, true. Yes. Okay. Thank you very much. I appreciate okay. that comment because okay. that does help put things <laughs> into perspective. I just didn't want to put you on the hot right. seat, Jim. <laughs> so, Not a
1: problem. Yeah. Not a problem. I just, that's just a fact that you and I can, we can that's agree true.
0: on. <laughs> hey, I want to um, – I do want to ask, just generally speaking, I, I know I, I saw this article I sent out over to you. It was an opinion piece done uh, by one of the news organizations saying, claiming that disability rights lawyers are deciding against filing lawsuits – um. This this is according to this person's sources. This is Eric Garcia from MSNBC, an opinion columnist, right? Uh, c- concerned that the Supreme Court might take an opportunity of a lawsuit, if it reaches that level, to set back disability rights, that there's some concern that the Supreme Court would try to do that. And again, I don't want to have you uh, feel uh, the need to wade in politically. It's up to you, of course, whether you want to do that or not. I guess what I'm asking you mm-hmm. as someone who handles these cases, is there any concern that the uh, the advancements of folks with disabilities to get uh, laws passed in their favor is there fear in this in a community of lawyers that that represent people in these cases that there might be some sort of retreat backwards in these cases?
1: Sure, you know I think I think that's really too early to tell. Okay. Obviously, there's concerns following the Dobbs decision as to how uh, uh, you know how aggressive the Supreme Court will be, um, but the suggestion that you know lawyers are going to withhold filing lawsuits, you got to you got to keep in mind. Before a case gets to the Supreme Court, first the case got to start in the district court, then it's got to go to the court of appeals, and then before the Supreme Court's going to even get to it, there has to be a writ of a, a writ of search, uh, petition right. filed with the Supreme Court for them to even hear the case, and usually that's they don't even they only hear 1 to 2% of the cases, so right. there's such a, you know, big difference in terms of uh, how a case could ultimately get to the Supreme Court, I I would be surprised because we're usually, I'm usually representing the employers or the companies uh, in that regard. But I, we, I don't think there's going to be any shortage of, if, if someone's been denied a right based on their disability that they believe, I, I don't see that people are going to say, well, I'm not going to file the case because at some point in time, the Supreme Court is going to, might overrule this. Right. I, I I see that's a little attenuated, you know, for someone to make that leap, you know, uh, for sure. So, so I'm not sure that I that I that I would agree with that. But you know, time will tell. Yeah, time but will I, tell. Again, I think that is somewhat of a somewhat of a leap. All right, Jim, you've given us so much
0: time today. I appreciate it. L- let us know uh, who uh, might want to reach out to you or, or uh, Leonard Mucian. What sorts of folks do you help out?
1: We re- we represent. Uh, employers on the management side so if a company has an issue with respect to discrimination in in any context including under the ADA and even with with public accommodations we will advise them to uh, bring them into compliance or to um, if, if there's a dispute and there's litigation um, we will try and resolve that in, in the best format possible.
0: All right. Laner is L A N E R M U C H I N dot com. And Jim, I really appreciate your uh, thoughts on this, okay?